about this time, I would uh, say you could be seated for a moment. I'm going to make my opening remarks quickly. Um, then I'm going to read my text. Brother French, I love you very much. This is a dear friend of mine. And you and your wife's friendship has meant so much to me through the years. I'm telling you. I brag on Talmadge French, let me tell you something. This, this man is a scholar's scholar. I know you know that. I have said for years, if this guy worked for the FBI, we would know where Jimmy Hoffa was buried. We would know where B.D. Cooper landed when he jumped out of that plane with that $200,000. We would, we would know. This man knows how to search. Amen. And love his family. God bless you, Ryan. Great young man. And Nathan and John, I don't know you as good as Ryan, but Jesus does, and he loves you, and I do too. Sister French, we love you. Sister Cole, so good to see you. So good to see you. So good to see you. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to go to the book of Mark, chapter 1. And as you're turning there, church, listen to me. I've been preaching um, all through, not all through, but I've been down in here in the, in the south for last couple of months. I've flown home four or five times. My wife's flown out two or three times. This church right here feels more like home to me than anywhere I've been. This really feels like home. And back about 10, 12 years ago, we did a count. We've had a lot of growth since then, but we had 17 cultures in our church back then. And uh, I'm, I'm, I love it. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. This is the wave of the future. Listen to me. Listen to me. And America's got its problems. If you don't know that, no offense, you're a village idiot, praise God. America's got its problems, but I'm going to tell you something. He has brought the church here for such a time as this. It's the church's hour. It's the church's hour. It's the church's hour. And I'm excited about what I see. Well, I'm going to get my glasses. I, uh, I was going to use my... Uh, iPad to preach out of. I mean, I always have my Bible with me. And some say, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, when you, I have 2,700 messages in there. And if I need one and I don't have it, I can't really print one out right here. So I have it there. I'm going to read to you a text. I have not used this for a text for over 30 years. And I did not wake up this morning knowing what I was going to preach I kind of had stuff and then I felt it changing, changing, changing and I really feel strong and on the way here the Lord showed me something about his dealings with me in the past that I had never seen before and, and I'm going to tell you we're serving a good God in Luke chapter 1, excuse me Mark Mark, Mark chapter 1 Verse 40, 
Mark 1, verse 40. And there came a leper to him. Anybody glad for him? Notice this. There came a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, Thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Let's ask that our friend that sticks closer than a brother would talk to us today. The Savior that healed that leper, that Savior is here right now. We ask God that you, our great, gracious God and Savior, would anoint every single heart, every soul, every mind, every spirit. Make us alive and quicken us, God. By your Holy Ghost, we commit this service into your hand in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you so much. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Our text is self-explanatory, but what is not uh, understood as it should be by most is uh, the actual condition of this man that came to him, kneeling to him, beseeching him that he would cleanse him, this poor leprous man. Until recent years and even now, it's a, it's a dicey situation. And in the vast majority of the, of the world, one of the worst bits of news down through history, the worst news you could ever get. Uh, was to hear that you had the prognosis of leprosy upon you. What that meant in times past and what that meant in these days and in our text and in that nation was that when a person was diagnosed as being leprous, um, he was separated from friends, from family, from society. Now, if family chose to move with the leprous individual, man or woman, into their, what later would be called leper colonies, that was their choice. But if they chose not to, perhaps they wanted to stay with the kids and not take the kids into the leper colony, then uh, that is just the way that it was. You are not only... Uh, separated from society, you were, you were thrown into a society of fellow lepers just by the basic things. This was not just Israel. This was, this was large, large segments of the world. If you were rich, it made no difference. There was a king by the name of Uzziah, and he was a very, very powerful king of Judah, 
that committed a grievous trespass and God smote him with leprosy. And he was not only removed from being king, he had to live in a separated house the rest of his days. And um, so we don't know the individual story of this man. Um, we don't know the trauma, the heartache, all that he faced and all that he went through. One can only imagine. The basic problem with uh, leprosy is, is um, it's, it's, it's a complicated disease, but one of the things that it does is that it affects the nervous system. And, and by that, you know, if you stub your toe, you're, you're going to, especially depending on what you stub it on, um, it, it can be a very, very painful deal. But if all the nerve endings in that part of your foot have, have, uh, have basically given up the ghost, they've died, so to speak, you wouldn't even know if you've stubbed your toe or if you sprained your ankle or whatever. If you sprain your ankle, you're going to limp or you're going to prop your feet up. You're going to do something to protect the pain of that ankle. But if you do not know that it's damaged, you just continue to walk as you always walked. And the sprain becomes magnified and one thing leads to another. <laughs> so that damages eventually that toe you stubbed, you could end up losing that toe because you did not take care of it because you didn't realize the bad shape that it was in. Now, I'm giving you gross oversimplification, but I'm not a doctor, and, and you're not lepers. Amen. And, uh, but at one time or another, we all were. And we're actually our lepers, all of us, except for the grace of Jesus Christ. And uh, so, but if you did not know... Uh, that, that toe might eventually come to the point of rot and fall off, or even your foot if it was sprained ankle. And, um, and things take place in a body. I have seen pictures of, of, of uh, lepers with missing ears, missing portions of their body, splotches of color, sometimes drained uh, of color pigmentation, etc. When the priests of old were, were contacted to, to prognosis, give a prognosis on leprosy, if a person came, if they had maybe a brown scab or if the pigmentation of a portion of their body was, was totally white, uh, they would check it out. They would set them aside for seven days, come back and check it, etc. And uh, if one thing led to another and they said, no, this, this is leprosy. The rest of the individual's life, again, they were separated. And if they were coming up upon non-leprous society, let me use the word polite society, just to kind of, they saw them, they had to step back and they had to scream, Leper! Unclean! Unclean! And people knew what that meant, and boy, they would hightail it. And so there you were left, as you saw the back of their heads, and you would walk away back into your lonely darkness. Go back to your fellow leprous friends. Now, leprosy is 
in Scripture is given as a type of sin. And, and let me tell you something. We're all born with the, the, the sin problem. We're all born with the spiritual leprosy. It's like Adam and Eve. They ate of the fruit uh, of knowledge of good and evil. And here we are trying to spit out the seeds ever since. <laughs> and uh, so man, from the fall, we have been born with a sin nature in us. Paul described it in Romans 7 very well. He said, the good that I want to do, you know, he just basically couldn't keep it up somewhere. He'd want to do good and couldn't pull it off. And then certain bad things he didn't, I'm not going there, I'm not going there, and then, and then end up going there. And this is, this is the problem of sin. This is the reason people have New Year's resolutions. I'm not doing that no more. And, and it may last a week, might last a month, but then they go. And, uh, and on and on and on. Now, I, I was uh, as tragic a leper as this man on his best day in my own right. Now, I don't personally, I, I go this way. This is just me. And if you have questions, ask the scholar <laughs> if I have questions. I personally, I personally... Uh, I don't think that babies are born lost, even though the sin nature is in them. Somewhere the Bible says, uh, the Bible tells us, amen, God told Moses, uh, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The sin nature is there. You just got to give it time. And somewhere, someplace, sometime, there is an act. We're going to be judged by our deeds. We're going to be judged by our words. We're going to be judged by our acts. Somewhere in given time, the cookie will be stolen. Amen. Somewhere in time, the lie will be told. You don't have to teach a kid how to lie. You don't have to teach a kid how to steal cookies. You don't have to teach a kid how to be sneaky at times. It comes, it comes it's in the gene pool, and it goes all the way back to the garden. And, uh, but so until that, that, that spot appears, a person can have leprosy in their system and it's not activated, but, but one day the spot appears. And leprosy works this way. The spot may appear, and it may be diagnosed that is leprosy, and it may stay in that condition literally for months or years, or it may spread rapidly. You never know how it's going to work in an individual case. You just don't know. And, uh, and uh, my, uh, my name was not always Larry Booker. My name used to be for many, many years until I was in the fourth grade and my mother married my stepdad. My name was Larry Macbeth. My name really shouldn't have been Larry Macbeth, but my mother got my name, my brother's name, and, and it's Larry Macbeth because my dad was actually a Dalton. It was not made for, named after Dalton, Georgia, or Dalton, Georgia named after them, but he was, uh, he's part of the, he was related to the Dalton gang. Yeah, yeah, we didn't make carpets, they robbed banks. And, uh, and so, and so, but he did our family so dirty. In fact, I've been told I have half-brothers somewhere here in Georgia. I ought to check him out, but I don't know how to go about it. But I've been told, yeah, welcome home. <laughs> so, so uh, when I was, I was a little boy, my name is Larry Macbeth, and... Uh, 
And I didn't even know what a booker was. And I remember when I was about five years old, uh, I had a dream. And in this, in this dream, I was standing in a corner of a room, and I was utterly, absolutely, totally terror-stricken. And I ran from one corner to the next. I'm not going to bore you, but a boy I'd never seen before screamed, Go! I ran to another corner of the room, go where? I ran to another corner of the room, go with whom? I ran back to the corner, and somebody came up with a can and said, pass it to Booker. I didn't know what a Booker was. I woke up screaming at five years old, totally terror-stricken, because in the dream, I had to go around that room for eternity. I was trapped in the terror of it. Well, I didn't know what a Booker was. Uh, I was a good little boy. And uh, everybody loved little Larry. And I don't know if this is, this is what stands out to me. I, I mean, God knows. I don't know. But I will never forget the day that stood out in my mind so profoundly. I know this. It was a seminal moment in my life. And after this moment in kindergarten... I was never the same. And a seminal moment means, basically, Booker language, from this day forward, things are different. Not utterly, absolutely, totally, ravishingly changed, but it was a seminal moment. Sometimes I do ministerial classes with young ministers, and I, I talk about seminal moments in my life. Well, this one was my first seminal moment. And I was in kindergarten, and uh, we, would, uh, we, would, uh, we would skip around the classroom. I guess it was exercise. I don't know what it was. But there was a little girl. She had a packet of candy cigarettes. And, and she gave them to the teacher that day. So the teachers, she put those candy cigarettes on her desk. Well, when we were skipping around, I kept going by those candy cigarettes. And I did about three laps, and they were looking more delicious every time I went by them. And finally, I'd never done anything like this before, ever, that I can even possibly remember. It was unlike my nature, but I reached out, and I snagged them, and I put them in my pocket. And I kept skipping. Then came the time when you'd roll out your towels, and everybody said they were taking a nap. And uh, so I rolled out my towel, and I put my towel down in a far corner of the classroom. And I reached down, and I pulled out a candy cigarette. I'm looking around, and I put it in my mouth. Powder on my fingers. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm John Cool. And I looked down through the table legs, and there's two sets of eyes, Bruce and Pat. Little kids, they're staring at me. I did not know what bribery was. But I went. And I, now this is the 50s, you got me? Different world. So I thought, and I didn't know about destroying evidence, but I thought, uh-oh. So I, I chewed them all up. I wadded up the box tight, 
And after a while, I told the teacher, I said, can I go to the restroom? Why don't you just wait? I need to go. And I went to the restroom, and I flushed the box down the stool. And I went back, and I laid down. Well, when class stool is over, and I'm fixing to head out the door, I'm halfway out the door, can't move fast enough. I hear, Larry, 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 Larry. And there's the teacher with that little girl that gave her this candy cigarettes. And there's Bruce and Pat. Yes. Um, Bruce and Pat said that you had, whatever her name was, her candy cigarettes. I said, no. I don't know what you're talking about. You did too. You had them. I said, no, no, no. I had never taken lying classes. But I was pretty adept that day. And, and, and I, mean, I mean, it was like, I didn't say this because I didn't know, pull out the Bible, I swear on it. But it was close to that. That's where my heart was. And, uh, and so, anyway, the little girl's crying, and Bruce and Pat are, are, are calling me a liar, and I'm, <laughs> so the lady, she's at an impasse, and she said, I will bring you some more tomorrow. Okay. I will never forget that walk home that day. I will never forget it. I can feel it right now as I was walking, not this way, I was walking this way because my left leg would be up here and I had one leg up and the other foot in the gutter. And I was going up and down. One foot in the gutter, one foot on the curb. And I walked and walked. And I'd never done that before. And I never even thought about it till this second. I had begun my slide with one foot in the gutter. I never thought about that till this second. And, uh, and I was a little boy. I was a little boy. I was a little boy. And in my mind, God knows, I had my first spot. And the leprosy. Well, I was a good kid. And I got good grades. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't start snorting coke or nothing like next week. I just was a kid. And I'm doing my thing. And, and I had, had really, really, really good grades. In fourth grade, my mother married my stepdad. Married my, uh, this man named Art Booker. I never knew what a Booker was, but he was a nice guy. We had been poor. We were very, very poor at one point. I remember living in a house from here. When we left Pueblo, we had to go live in Florence. And uh, there was about a house, a stone house. I have a picture of it on my phone from about here to there. And from that brother, rectangular. Dirt floor, rock walls, tin roof with a hole up in the center. I remember watching my mother cook food in a Folgers coffee can. But I didn't know. We was poor. We had running water. Me and my brother would run down the hill with a five-gallon bucket, and we'd go to the well, and we'd, we had, we'd run it back up. We had restroom facilities. You did not want to go to them at night because that's when the spiders came out, and it was outside, and it was a, it was a wooden affair that kind of leaned to the left, and, uh, and that, was the, uh, that was the restroom. And, and there we were, but 
And, uh, and then when we did, we didn't always stay that way, but the best houses we usually have, if there was linoleum, the linoleum was worn through. And, and so my mother married Arthur Booker, and uh, we moved up to Rye, Colorado. I remember the day men came, and they were rolling brand-new carpet. I'd never had a house with brand-new carpet, I think. And brand-new couch, brand-new dinette set. I didn't know you could have two tables, one in the kitchen and one here. Like, whoa, dude. And, and, and there was a fireplace there, and, and there it was. I remember my mother and I holding each other, crying, because we never had anything like this. And then I remember when my stepfather said, Larry, to me and my brother, I'd like to adopt you and uh, become your father legally. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, for one thing, your name will be changed. You'll no longer be Larry Macbeth. You will be Larry Booker. You'll take on my name, and I will be your father. And Philip and I looked at each other and said, sounds good to me. And I remember the very last time I ever signed my name as Larry Lee Macbeth. It used to be Macbeth, M-A-C, until there was a family feud and part of the family dropped the A. And so they went to Max and we went to Mix and we were Macbeth. And, and, then, um, and then I had to write Larry Lee B-O-O-K-E-R. And I was duly adopted. And my name was changed. And I was in the fourth grade. And all went well. And then a good kid. And I was in the seventh grade. In case you haven't noticed, I was tall. I was a little tall. And, and so what that meant, in the seventh grade, there's eighth graders and ninth graders that were not as tall as me, but they were older than me. And they, like, were bad. And they wanted to be able to tell somebody, hey, I whooped up on a guy that was six, over six foot tall. I was, I was six foot tall in seventh grade. Hey, man, I whooped up on a guy. They wouldn't tell him I was in the seventh grade. You know. So what that meant was I had to start getting into a lot of fights. I mean, I could have run, I guess. But anyway, so then I is like, duh. So I started getting into uh, fights. And then, because one thing lead to another, then I'd start running around with, and, and I'm not bragging, I'll get, I've lost a couple of fights, but I didn't lose any of those. And uh, so, I mean, when a guy's got your head on the ground, beating it on the pavement, I think I lost that fight. That was not a good fight. Fight a good fight of faith means fight a fight, you know you're going to win, but I, yeah. So anyway, I, uh, so I started running with a different set of buddies, and uh, my grades, they were always straight A's, always. Now they began to go, and, and I got into the ninth grade, and now we were, and then in the ninth grade, uh, me and my buddies, we'd been doing some stuff, and uh, I don't even name the stuff we were doing to get high on because it, it's so readily available, and you could drive out of here and go get it, so I don't talk about that, what it was. But uh, we were doing that, and we broke into a house on a Friday night. Nobody was in that house. 
we knew they were gone. So we broke in on Friday night, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, all day Sunday, Sunday night. We were doing nothing but staying in that house, getting totally ripped out of our minds, messed up. And it was late Sunday night, and uh, I was in the corner of this room, and I had this substance, and I said, nobody mess with me. Don't anybody mess with me because I'm going to do this until I obliterate my brain, my mind. And so I began. And we all know the feeling of deja vu. But now, I was in this room and a terror gripped me. And I ran to another corner of the room, and there was a guy named Richard that I was now running with, a good buddy. Go! And I ran to another corner, and Edmund said, Go where? And I ran to another corner, and Bernard Pinky said, Go with whom? Pass it to Booker. And I ran back to the corner, and the guy came up. Pass it to Booker. And I did what they call freaked out. I totally freaked out. I mean, I went... Crazy, and, and my friends had enough. They, they drugged me out screaming. I was in the house screaming, and they drugged me out. It was in early April, and it was cool out in Pueblo, Colorado. And I was outside screaming, and finally they were slapping me, and, and I came to, and I stopped, and I realized I saw the stars, and I saw my friends, and I realized I wasn't trapped. And uh, they said, Larry, Larry. I said, I gotta go, I gotta go. And I wandered around trying to figure out how to get to my house. And I was lost and I was messed up. My brains had been scrambled like with an egg beater. And uh, finally I saw a tree that was painted white with polka dots and I recognized that's Rocco's tree. So I, I knew I was on Canterbury, Brookfield. And so I walked over past Canterbury went to Hollybrook. I knew that was my house. And I walked inside. It was late. My parents were there watching TV, which was easy for them to do because they had a TV in every room in the house. They had three in the front room. I watched my mother watch three soap operas at one time. <laughs> I walked into the house one day, and she was on the phone. She said, she's dead. I said, Mama, who died? And it was Sylvia as the world turns or something. Anyway, so I, they were watching, and I, I waved, yeah, you home? Yeah. And, and I went downstairs. I was, I was scrambled, and I laid down on my bed, and, and I was just, and somehow I went back to sleep. I went to sleep, and I had the dream again, the nightmare that I had when I was five years old. And I knew what a booker was now. I was a booker. And I was trapped, and I was, and so in, I said, God, get me out of this. I will never do that again. And I came to, and I realized I was downstairs on my bed. My heart. I don't know how long I laid there, but I, I somehow went back, and the, 
the nightmare came again. God, God, I'll get me out of this. I'll never, I'll never smoke cigarettes, never. And I realized I was downstairs on my bed. I somehow, after a while, went back. And the nightmare came again. I'll never smoke pot. I realized I was downstairs on my bed. God, I'll, I'll never do speed. And all, whatever left was that night, I made promise after promise after promise after promise. I, I will never do LSD. I will never do heroin. I will never. I made all these promises of stuff. I, and, and, and I kept having the nightmare. Go, go where? Go with whom? Pass it to Booker. And I was trapped. And, and finally, I woke up, whatever's left. I said, God, 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 get me out of this. I promise you, I will never shoot up anything in my arm, ever. And I was downstairs on my bed. And so I was left with whatever was left of that night. When I woke up, I was a different human being. I could still function, but I was what they call paranoid. And if somebody had come up to me, Brother T, and said, Boo! I I would have just... But you keep it, you know. And I, I went to school and... Ninth grade, Pitts Junior High, and, and I go in there and, hey, Larry, we're going to have a good time. We're going over to so-and-so's tonight. I, I don't think I'm going to go. And then Friday night, hey, man, we're having a party. No, because I made these promises to God, and my, my, my ship was rattled, and I was in bad shape, and I, and I promised. And so finally I, I realized I had, I had cut off any kind of quote-unquote good kids to hang around with and now I was with my buddies and now I wasn't drinking, smoking, doing all that stuff and so, and so I was ostracized and I was lonely and so I said, hey, listen, okay, I'll go and I told God, I said, now God, this is what I'm going to do, this is all, I'm just going to sip on a can of beer, I'm just going to take a couple sips, I'm going to be, you know, that's all, I'll be, just enough to get, hey, how are you doing this? Well, one sip led to two, led to ten, led to an empty can, led to two, three, four, six-pack, and they'd take me home drunk. And then here came pot really coming on the scene. This is the mid-late 60s. And, uh, and, I, and I was just, now, oh, Larry, you're just a boozer, man. So I... This is, I'm telling you, this ain't edited. This is the way it was. I said, I will not inhale. I ain't the first to say it, and I wasn't the last, but that's what I said. I will not inhale. Well, I found out I would start inhaling. And then they started graduating from pot. They come up with a deal called mescaline. I never heard of mescaline. I didn't promise God about mescaline. I didn't even know what that was. It's a derivative of basically peyote and was part of the Indian deal. So I started taking mescaline and I was eating it like candy and it was like LSD. But then the mescaline source dried up. They were moving on to LSD and I said, okay, I'll just take a quarter of a tab. Next thing I was eating LSD like candy. And one by one, and, but it, every time I would break a promise, 
I would, I would tell God, God, this is, this is all I'm going to do. This, this is all I'm going to do. And I didn't realize the nerve ends were dying, Larry Booker. You were, you were not feeling how, how far down the slope you were sliding. Your, your limbs are breaking. You're rotting away, but you can't even feel it because the leprosy is running amok in your life. Now, this is what I realized on the way down here today. When I was on my bed in my ninth grade year, going through nightmare after nightmare after nightmare that I had had when I was about five years old, I didn't realize it till then. I was on an anvil. And the devil was having his way, but God was right there. And I was on a forge. And God was beating something into me. And the terror and the, and the, and the, and, and the promises that I meant. And, and when I would break them, it wasn't easy. But then once I broke them, then I would go. And so the years went by. I ended up on probation from the time I was 14 till I was 21. And every, at least once a month, many times, twice a month, for, depending on what I'd done, sometimes once a week, I'd have to go see my probation officer. And I was breaking promise after promise. But there was one promise when even when I was 18 and my older friends were in Vietnam and one of them was shipping uncut heroin back, which we would cut down and resell and then with the money, buy 1,000 lots of LSD for 19 cents a hit or 25 cents a hit up in Boulder, Colorado. Then we would sell them, send them back to our friend in Vietnam, eight-track cassette players, uh, record albums resealed, uh, cookies, everything. We'd send them back where he would sell them then to fellow GIs for $5 a hit. And so, but I might snort a little, but I would not shoot up anything. And that was the only promise I had never broke. And I knew if I ever break that, I felt I will die. The only reason I'm not dead is because I had not broke that last promise, I thought. And, uh, and that was pretty amazing because for kicks, me and my buddies, sometimes we go out in the prairies Sometimes, plural, we did this more than once. We would go out and we'd shoot cigarettes out of each other's mouths and tin cans off each other's heads with 22 pistols. And sometimes we were drunk. And uh, we'd ride on the front of, you didn't know who you was going to get this morning, did you? We'd ride on the front of, of uh, Pontiac cars going down through the dirt roads, Burnt Mill Road outside of Pueblo, Amen. Going 100 miles an hour, seeing who had the best grip. And, uh, and such like. One time when we were on our way out to shoot cigarettes out of each other's mouths, I had been so fortunate. I should have been killed so many times. My, bu my buddies had a nickname for me. They, sometimes they called me Lucky. And one of my buddies, he took three shells out of the six-shell cylinder, and he spun it. He, and we were walking, he said to his buddy, I'm going to see how lucky Larry really is. And he pointed it at my back and clicked it. And it snapped. And uh, the guy didn't tell me till it was over because he knew I'd beat him half to death. And, uh, and, 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 and I, between uh, being hit by cars 
One time I was up in the mountains and standing on a bluff, and there was a girl I wasn't going out with her, but she was like a sister to me, but we were fighting. We were, and, and she was a character. I said, well, why don't you hit me? So she did. She hit me hard. So I grabbed her, and I held her over the cliff, and I was shaking her, and she was screaming. And then I lost my balance, and we both fell. Is that 20 foot? About. It was a 20-foot fall, and we both, there was two big round rocks, and we hit those rocks. I can feel it now. And honestly, I laid there and I thought, so this is how I died. And I, I came to, and Marcy, are you alive? I think so. And we were okay. It was a miracle, I think. Mercy is a God for sure. And, uh, and so, so there I was. But I thought, if I ever shoot up, those days are over. One time, and in the book I wrote, I don't talk about this aspect of the fights. I was in over 70 fights from my ninth grade year to the year after I graduated, some of them gang fights. Of those fights, because they were so brutal, uh, I didn't want to talk about them. But one time, I... Uh, You know, when you, you don't know how far sin will take you. You can become so unfeeling. You can become so messed up that decent, quote, society and common sense and acts of kindness can be so far removed because you're so messed up. I stood on a man's hands with a rubber hose in my hand, beating him across the face while he was begging me for mercy, and I was showing him no mercy. And while that was happening, and everybody was around, it was a gang fight, somebody driving by started shooting a rifle, and they knew it was at me, and they're diving under cars, and they're running around buildings, and they're saying, they're going to kill you, Booker! And I didn't care. And I just, and the man later told, that was shooting, he told my brother, he met my brother a year later, and he said, his name's Phil Booker, and he said, do you know Larry? He said, Larry's my brother. He said, I almost killed your brother a year ago. I would have killed him. He was standing on a friend of mine's hands and beating him and said, I fired two times and he wouldn't get off, so I pointed the gun. But he was, I pointed it straight at his back and I pulled the trigger said, that gun is never jammed on me ever, but that time it did or your brother would be dead. But it was God's mercy to me. God's mercy to me. And so I remember I had a cousin, Betty, and me and my father were fighting. He, for whatever reason, God love him, he had bought me a Triumph Spitfire sports car. And, uh, which was something, because I got, when I first car I had, I'd gotten three wrecks in six weeks. They canceled his insurance because I was living in the house. He'd had a 25-year perfect driving record. And they told my brother, if you don't move out, we're canceling you. And they, he moved out, and they doubled his insurance. They do stuff back then they can't get away with now. But anyway, there I was. And when I finally, anyway, I said, Dad. And God, anyway, I got my license back. And 
He paid for the insurance and he paid for the car. And, uh, and I was supposed to pay him and I wasn't paying him because I was getting drunk and stoned and high. And so I got in a bad fight with him. Argument. And I went over to my cousin Betty's house. I, I, had, I didn't know if I was going to graduate or not. I had a D minus average. When I graduated, I had one half credit to my good. I was stoned every single day from my ninth grade year till halfway through my ninth grade year till the year after I graduated, except for one six-week period of time in my senior year I played football. I'm not advocating that. I'm just telling you I did, and I'm not bragging, but I did so good. I had two college scholarships, even though my grade average was in the toilet. But I went to my cousin Betty's house, and I was sitting there, and my cousin... She doesn't know God. She thinks she does, but she doesn't. And she looked at me and she said, Larry. I said, yes. She said, you will never be happy without God. And it was a seminal moment. I knew. And another thing that nobody, none of my friends knew. Even when I was in my worst of my worst days, I did not like being a leper. I did not like being the way I was. I did not like Larry Booker. And I did not know anything about grace. And, and I just thought, if you do more good things than bad things, you'll go to heaven. If you do more bad things than good things, you go to hell. And I didn't realize till later studies that's Zoroastrianism. And so there I was. I would kneel down in my house by myself. I did this three or four times during those years. I would curl up in a ball. I was as serious as cancer. And I'd roll up in a ball and I'd say, Jesus, if I'm going to end up doing more evil than good. And my, I would choke because I was scared because I meant it. I said, I want you to kill me right now. I don't want to be evil. And I'd wait. I thought my poor parents, their house was going to be destroyed. And nothing would happen. And I think, well, maybe there's hope for me. And I get up and go out and be an idiot. And so she said that to me, and the dominoes started clicking. Okay. Well, I was thinking about it. We were still doing the heroin business selling. I remember one time I was up in. Boulder, and we were buying 1,000 lots, and I had, I had I'd traded off an old Plymouth for an ounce of opium, and, and I was, we were up, in, and I was, everybody was passed out, and I was sitting there, and here was the window, it was at the top floor of the dorms, Boulder, Colorado University, the music was playing, I could tell you who was playing, I could tell you what the song was. And, and I was so depressed, I was so down, I was so miserable, and all of a sudden, I started feeling good. I started feeling happy. I started feeling really happy. I started feeling ecstatic. And I looked out the window, and I didn't see what I had been seeing. I saw a beautiful green meadow. I saw yellow flowers coming up. I saw a big stand of trees, 
and the sun coming up over the top of the trees. And I'm staring at, I'm so ecstatically happy. And I, and I turn, and there's the guys passed out. And, I, and the depression came back. And I thought that was, that was really a weird trip. You don't supposed to trip like that on opium. I must have had a flashback. It was weird. We were out and we was going buying the stuff, and I was going down the street, and there was this girl panhandling. She's saying, spare change, spare change. Anybody got some spare change? Would you stand up? You are the right height. Much sweeter. Spare change, spare change. And here I am, punk that I was. I said, why don't you get a job? And she began to revile me, not her. She began to question the circumstances of my birth and things of that nature. And I looked at her and I screamed at her and she screamed at me. Oh, I wanted to hit her, but you don't hit girls. I mean, even I didn't even hit girls. And I turned away and I heard... And I felt it. It was this leg. And I looked back. She had got me on the back of the leg. And I said, and my buddies around, they were late. They were crying, laughing so hard. And I said, you, you spit on me. She said, you deserved it, buddy. Thank you. I, 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 I wanted to hit her. It was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. Oh, oh. So anyway, there it was. Then I moved to Denver. Had another bad fight with my dad. I moved up to Denver. Got a job, crazy job, selling. I was a Kirby vacuum salesman. <clears throat> hey man, I couldn't sell my way out of a paper sack. But anyway, there I was. And and but but I started praying because I'd had a bad car wreck in November of 71, just before Thanksgiving. I was back, I was living in Denver, but I went back for Thanksgiving and me and my buddies, I got, I got drunk. I got terribly, horribly drunk. I had my spitfire. I went to a party and about 4.35 in the morning. I'm trying to wake everybody up. I wanted to go down to the Arkansas River and watch the sun come up, but I couldn't wake nobody up. So I got in my little spitfire. I'm going down, I'm going down. I go to the, the, the south uh, side city park. And I'm, I've got, I'm such a mixed up leper. Part of me wants to, I was reading my Bible. I was, wanting, I, was wanting, I was praying, I was drinking, I was drugging. I was just all confused. I'd soil, and I started going fast, faster, faster. Finally, I had the triumph punched out. And I was going around the curves as fast as it would go. And I come to this one curve. And every time I get, I'm telling you, I can feel that car turning right now. I felt it lifting. When I came to, it had come 60 feet around through the trees and the grass. and I was standing in the middle of the road, and there was the car on its top. Top shattered, windows in, shattered, but not broke through the fiberglass top. The wheels bent flat. It was a sealed coffin. I had a bump on my knee cut on my hand 
And I look up and I see a police car coming. And I know that my life has just been spared. And I know that I have just talked to somebody that knows, that knew everything about me and everything I'd ever done. The police knew me by first name. Our phones at home were tapped. They put me in the police car. I watched the tow truck take my car away. I had been up and down, falling on the seat, sobbing, crying, because not because of the car, not because I was going to prison. I was on probation. I was in mess. But because I knew my life had been spared, I should be dead. And God had spared me. And I knew I'd heard the voice before, but I couldn't place where it was, but I'd heard it. The police got in. They knew me by first name. They said, Larry... Where do you want to go? It's like, what? How do you spell jail? I mean, what do you mean, where do you want to go? They said, where do you want to go? I said, where do you want to go? Where do you want us to take you? I said, take me to my cousin Betty's. She lived straight down the street, about three miles. And that Brando. The police said it was a miracle in court. The judge said it was a miracle. My parents said it was a miracle. All my friends said it was a miracle. I say it was a miracle that I did not die. And that night I was back out getting drunk and stoned. But I was back in Denver, carless, hopeless. But I knew God had spared my life. So I told everybody when we go to New Year's Eve, it's not a resolution, I'm quitting. When the clock struck and the party was screaming, I put out the joint, I put out the cigarette, I set down the liquor, I went downstairs, I got on the waterbed, and I began to say, Jesus, please forgive me. I'm begging you. I want to live for you. I don't know how long I was there, but this did start happening. You hear me? I didn't know what Pentecostals do. I didn't know they said glory. I didn't know, but I started feeling better, 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 better. I said, yeah. glory! <laughs> Hallelujah! And it felt good. Well, that's coming up through the vents. And they're having a party up there. And they hear glory. Hallelujah. And they're beating up, Bucker, Bucker, are you all right? I got back together. I got up the next day, it was January 1st. I had to go back down to Pueblo, go see him. It's the first of the month, I got to go see my probation officer. I said, I'm moving out, guys. I said, Where are you going? I said, I'm going, I'm going to Guadalajara, Mexico, and I'm going to write my life story. Or I'm going to Aspen, Colorado, and I'm going to write my life story. Or I'm going to go to college and learn how to write. Amen. They said, You're crazy. They said, You can't even get out of town. How are you going to get out of town? I promise you. I said, God will provide a ride. They said, You're crazy. And I heard, Honk, honk. I looked outside, it was my buddy Joe, the guy we'd been sending all the LSD to, he'd been sending the heroin, he was now discharged from the army, he had his, he had his, it was 1971, but he had a 72 Barracuda, well it was 72, just January 1st, he already had a 72 Barracuda 383 Hemi, cream yellow, he had light deals installed all inside that changed colors to the music back then. Hey, I'm going to Pueblo. Anybody want to go? I went down to Pueblo. 
come the second or third, I went to see my probation officer. He looked at me and said, Larry, how would you like to go to college? What? There is somebody in this city that anonymously wants to pay your way to college. They will give you a credit card for books, for meals at the cafeteria, and they'll put you in a dorm if you want. All you have to do is pass. You got to pass the classes. D's will get you by, but you got to pass. I said, you're kidding. I didn't know for about two or three years. Four, actually. It was the most well-known doctor in that city. And I used to date his daughter. And for whatever reason, he liked me. He thought he saw something in me. I'm not pleased. When I was in high school my senior year, D minus average, we took the SAT tests. I had three teachers tell me this, and they were furious at me. They were so angry. If I'd have got one point higher on my SAT, I would have been eligible for a scholarship. I'd already blown my other scholarship because I got arrested for, for a, a pot. And, and if they'd have been a little quicker, they'd have caught me with heroin. And that was a long story, but God had mercy on me. So I lost my football scholarships. And uh, if I'd have got one point higher in the SAT, I could have had an a, uh, academic scholarship in spite of my rancid grades. And so he said, they'll pay your way. I went home, was able to tell my mom I'm going to college. She didn't believe it. I stayed at the house. I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I quit running around with my buddies. I'm just telling you. My parents had five. They had three TVs in the front room. and I, I even quit watching TV. I did. I just did. And I didn't have I just did. I just got convicted. And then God would try to fill me with the Holy Ghost. I'd be down there praying, and I'd, uh, I'd, I'd get, I didn't know what that was, my tongue. Um, I'd get in bed, I'd crawl in. I had this old Bible that would fall to pieces because I bought it at St. Vincent de Paul. I wanted a holy, holy, holy Bible. And, and, and I had a cross that glowed in the dark, and I'd get on the bed, and I'd say, God, I don't know what you're doing. We're going to have to do this some other time. And so I'm going to school. I'm going to college. I'm taking... I'm taking creative writing, I'm taking two poetry classes, I'm taking piano, I'm taking psychi- uh, psychology. It was, it, was, it was a trip. So there I was, and, uh, and, and, and I'm praying, and, and then one day uh, I'm, I'm down, I catch a bus, I go to the Ormond campus, and I catch a bus after about 20, 30 minutes, I go home, and there was, I was down there, and I was watching these guys play foosball, and this little guy, he comes and stands on the far side of the deal, and he says, hey, God, I want you to know Jesus Christ is soon to come. They missed their shots. He walked away, and, and I thought, man, I'd like to talk to him. And the Lord spoke to me and said, go to the restroom. You'll meet him there. So I went into the restroom. It was a big restroom. I put my back up against the wall. And in three seconds' time, that guy came walking in. I said, hey, that, uh, I appreciated what you had to say out there. I said, I'm a Christian? He said, really? Yes. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? 
I said, the Holy Ghost? Yes. I said, well, I, I think so. I feel pretty good. That's a long story, too. He said, he said, well, have you spoken other tongues? Have I done what? You know, spoken another language. I said, I, I, I took Spanish in the seventh grade. No, 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 no. As the Spirit gives the utterance. I, I said, I don't guess I have. Under what then were you baptized? I said, I, I ain't never been baptized. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, I looked at the clock. I had to get to catch that bus, and he gave me a piece of paper, and I wadded it up in my pocket. I got the bus, went home, and that night, I called them. I went to their little church, garage church. I sat on the back. I had two back pockets full of poems. I was ready for them. And they preached to me, to me. I went over to the house. I'm over there at the house, and and they said, let's go over there and have fellowship. I didn't know what fellowship was. They gave me some banana nut bread with no bananas or nuts. And I thought that was fellowship. And it was dry. Once it got off the roof of your mouth, it was good. But it did. And so I thought that was fellowship. I thought, that's yucky. And they kept what do you think? What do you think? I said, a little dry. They were talking about church. I was talking about the fellowship. And anyway, so they all pass out Bibles and they start talking to me about baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and on and on and on. Well, I've been reading my Bible. I've been reading the book of Palms and Genesis and all that. <coughs> so I wore them out. And there was one little brother, Wiley. And he, he, he was sitting there. And it was 2 in the morning, and everybody left. And Wiley was sitting on the floor. This happened. It all happened. But his face began to glow. I'd never seen the Shekinah. I'd start to ask a question. He would answer the question before I could ask it. I said, but what? And he'd give me the answer. But how? And he'd give me the answer. And he pinned me down in just a moment's time. I went back over to the garage church. And here was my deal. I wanted the Holy Ghost. I wanted to get baptized. But I didn't want to believe that was God's plan. And I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, there must be some other way. And I looked up, and they had a three-by-five poster board and written with glitter, probably Elmer's glue and glitter. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so that long story short, I walked away. I tore off the cross. I threw it in a trash can on the way out. I put away my holy, holy Bible. I backslid from my repentance. And I went back to the darkness. And suffice it to say, it was horrid and wretched and hideous. And I remember being up in Denver and my buddy from Vietnam, Joe, was there. And he'd shot up everybody in the house. And the only promise I'd never broke was that. And I pulled back my sleeve. And I said, shoot me up, Joe. And he loaded it up. He said, I've waited a long time to do this.
And then he fell back into the chair, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And nothing happened. After all these years, nothing happened. I shook him awake. Joe, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. I threw water in his face. What are you doing? Shoot me up again. It didn't work. No, man, no. I said, shoot. Bottom line, he knew it was me or him. He shot me up again, and this time when he fell back in his seat, he sobbed like a baby because in Vietnam he'd done that to a friend of his, his best friend in Vietnam, and had killed him. And he thought I was fixing to die. And nothing happened. So by and by, I got as many as people could in the car. And on the way home, I said, I'm a walking dead man. Musicians come. I said, I broke the last promise. I am a walking dead man. I remember looking out the window at the moon, thinking, I wonder how many minutes or hours or days I've got before I'm dead. So I got by my bed in Pueblo. I knelt by my bed. And I said, Jesus, Jesus, I'll do anything in the world if you just get me out of here. I'll do anything. 650 miles away, an old running buddy of mine named Larry, he had gone to a church on the wrong side of the tracks. He would got baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. He was praying for me right then, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Arise, go get Larry. He's ready now. He got in the car with Steve, amen, and he drove all what was the rest of the night into the morning, amen, and there he was. And my mom came. I was passed out. She shook me awake. She said, Larry's on the phone. Larry? I went up to the stairs, top of the stairs. It was Larry. He said, hey, Larry, this is Larry. I said, can I go home with you? That's the first thing I said. He said, that's what I came for. And before we left town that day, I went back to Joe's and made him shoot me up again. Don't ever think you can handle it. Don't ever think, no, I'll just dabble with it. No, no, no. When you become a leper, there ain't no telling where you'll go and how bad it'll get. And so I'm driving. We're back. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. We're coming through Ponca City, Oklahoma. I'm smoking a cigarette. I'm driving, and I'm thinking, I cannot be saved. God can't save a wretch like me. And I heard him say, give me a chance. And I put out the cigarette. It was Easter Sunday, 1972. We got in. We didn't make it that morning, but I went that night. My hair was down to here. 
My pants was a conglomeration of patches sewed together. I know my shirt wasn't buttoned. I hope I had a T-shirt on. I know I didn't have shoes. I don't think, I know I didn't have socks. My pastor thinks I had sandals. When I walked in this home missions church, there was 18 people there, and they looked at me, and the ones that had kids scooted their kids up close. And that night, I went to the altar, and I sobbed. And I w- I've had people tell me, we have never in our life ever heard anybody scream and sob like you did. And finally that night, I was baptized in a cow pond in Jesus' name. When I went under the water, I saw a bright flashing light. When I came up, I would have got the Holy Ghost, but I remembered what a wretch I was. Five nights later, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, April 6, 1972. We started waiting young people. Remember we saw them sitting in the house one day and wanting some boys and girls. We were all sitting talking. One day I I looked at Pam and said, Hey Pam, you look familiar. She said, Larry, I've been thinking you look familiar too. She said, were you raised in Bartlesville? I said, no, I was raised in Colorado. She goes, I used to live in Colorado. I said, really, where? She goes, I lived in Boulder. I said, I used to live in... I said, you spit on me? She said, you deserved it, buddy. It was her. Now she's filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus. You hear what I'm telling you? We're serving a big God. We're serving a mighty God. Let's all stand. I got a job. My first real job, it was a sheetrocker. I'd never been a drywaller. My boss called me the butcher. When he found out I was a Christian, he hated me. One morning, he said, come on, we got to go up to Deering, Kansas, and we're going to rock a house. I got in the truck, and he put in his eight-track cassette player. And I knew that. I knew that album backwards and forwards. I knew it. I could quote every lyric. And I'm sitting there. We're driving. It's early, 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 early morning. Sun ain't up. Sun starts coming up. This certain song comes on. I got the Holy Ghost now. I'm baptized in Jesus' name. You see, what had happened was that night in that Bartlesville church, a leper came in the back door. His world was undone, upside down and inside out. And he came to Jesus, and his name was Larry, and he knelt to Jesus, and he besought Jesus, and he said, Jesus, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And his answer then was the same as 2,000 years ago. I will. It's as simple as that. I will. And 
I was cleansed through repentance. That was my death. I was buried with him in baptism. In Jesus' name, I rose to walk in the newness of life. I received the Holy Ghost. Now I'm in that car. And we're driving and I'm hearing that music. I'd heard that music hundreds of times. And then we all know the deja vu feeling. I'm saying, I start getting a feeling. I'm feeling better and I'm feeling happier. I'm feeling really happy. I know I got it's because I got the Holy Ghost. And I'm thinking, if I get any happier, I'm going to start shouting in this truck right now. And, and I, the music. And I looked. And out the window was the beautiful green meadow. Yellow flowers coming up. The big stands of elm trees. And coming up over the top, the sun was coming up. And God was saying, Larry, this is what you were looking for back then. So it does not matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, how bad it's got. I'm here to tell you, we're serving a big God. We're serving a mighty God. And his answer is the same. I will. I will. I will. And brothers and sisters, listen. If he saved me, he'll save anybody. I'm done but driving down here today I realized God was in those nightmares he was forging something in me because the night I broke that final promise I broke and said Jesus I'll do anything in the world if you'll just and he plucked me up took me to Oklahoma baptized me, gave me the Holy Ghost, forgave and washed and called me to be a preacher. Can I tell you something? He knows his business. He knows how to do it. Sir, he knows your name and he cares about you. Ma'am, he brought you here because he loves you. He's not willing that anybody should perish. He wants everybody to make it. So right now, right now we have come to the most important part of this entire service if there was a spotlight on me it's gone the spotlight's on you you sir you ma'am god's looking at your heart what are you going to do there's some here you know what god's done for you you may well be the first ones down here to lift your hands and say thank you jesus for what you did for me You may be here thinking, I know this is what I've needed all my life. That God's in this house. That God loves you. That God's here to heal you. His answer's still the same. I will. He'll do it today. I don't know. Yes, I will. I don't know if he can forget. Yes, he can. This altar's open for anybody. This altar's open for everybody. Come on, sir. 
Come on, ma'am. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. Amen. If you're thankful or you're hopeful, amen, or you're hurting, it doesn't matter. There's a God in this house that loves you. There's a God in this house that brought you. There's a God in this house. He wants to break the bonds and set you free. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Let's touch. Come on. God's here to help us. Eternity forever. 